I don't know if any of you saw the story that was hitting the headlines over the last few days. The title was An Evil Genius Tricked Her Dad with a Christmas Prank Two Years in the Making. And uh, it was about a Scottish singer called Judy Brown. She enjoys playing pranks on her dad. And two years ago, she wrapped Brussels sprouts and Ferrero Rocher wrappers. This year she took it a step further and dipped the Brussels sprouts in chocolate, coated them with nuts, wrapped them in gold foil and resealed the box and her dad fell for it. Uh, People on Twitter are calling her an evil genius. I think that's probably a bit of a stretch. I mean, Vladimir Putin, possibly evil genius. Judy Brown rapping Ferrer Rocher, maybe not so much. But uh, she she went through this whole ordeal over a number of months. She even glued the box shut so the package looked brand new. Her dad was suspicious but popped one in his his mouth after careful examination. (laughs) Obviously not that careful. And this is the quote. His place, his face played a symphony of emotions. Satisfaction, triumph, smugness, consternation, confusion, realisation, horror, disgust. Brown wrote on Twitter, I'm still chuckling. I will all day long. I know this, his retribution will be swift and terrible, but no Christmas gift could be greater than this. Seeing my dad, despite his efforts to avoid it, unwittingly eat a Brussels sprout. You know, I have a word for Judy Brown. Sad. Um, (laughs) Sad. She took probably weeks and months to put this prank together. She planned it for two whole years. And it makes me wonder what she had to do in two years that could have been more important than wrapping Brussels sprouts and Ferrero Rocher packets. And I, I, I began just to think about how we invest so much time in things like that are really not that important. How we pour our lives into pursuits that don't actually produce anything significant or meaningful. We're at the end of 2018. And I know this talk, and I always do one of these talks on the last Sunday, and it can sound a bit motivational, a bit, you know, like if you're into the Tony Robbins, you know, it can sound a bit like that. And yet, God, I think, at certain times, wants us to step back and examine our lives. God has created seasons. God has created order in the universe. And I think at times he wants us to step back and just reflect. To reflect on the past, to look back, but not get stuck there. But also to look forward into the future. And for us, that looks like 2019. And I I want to ask you, what changed this year for you? Jim alluded to this at the start. What changed in 2018? It's not a rhetorical question. I I actually want you to think about it. Did your, maybe you put on a few pounds, maybe my beard got a little bit greyer. I met some old friends who I hadn't seen in about a year, uh, two days ago up in Antrim. And the first thing they said was, Craig, your beard's definitely getting greyer. I said, blame Hope Community Church for that. Um, But maybe physically you've changed. Maybe your life has changed, your family has changed, your relationships have changed. Maybe there's a child in the family uh, who wasn't there before. Maybe your job has changed. I know for quite a few of you, you've gone through a job shift in the past 12 months. Personally, maybe there's been changes in your home situation, in your relationships. Maybe spiritually, I wonder how your relationship with God has changed. What's different? 
Maybe this year you have joined Hope. Many of you have become part of our community over the last 12 months, and we're so thankful for you. I hope you're growing here. I was talking to somebody just on the forest walk the other day, and a couple, and they said, yes, they are. They've just, they're so glad they're here and they've been growing. And, and I, I pray that for all of us, but I also pray that as we enter 2019 that we will continue to grow individually and together as a church. Have you grown spiritually? Or have you stayed the same or have you shrunk back? That's something I continually need to ask myself because honestly, I find the longer I've been a Christian, the more you can kind of coast. The more you just can go through the motions. The first few years is a bit probably like marriage. It's all new and it's exciting and it's vibrant. But anyone who's been married 28 years will tell you that you, you, you coast, you, you just go through. And, and spiritually, I've been a Christian for 28 years. And to be honest, I need to examine my heart regularly and ask myself, am I coasting or am I, am I pressing forward? Am I growing? I, I tend to do the, use the week of prayer and fasting, which I know you're also excited about. We'll be doing that at the end of January, into the start of February. Um, you can feed up as much as you want now so that you have uh, excess weight to lose that week. But, uh, but yeah, most of us will be sitting here and in 12 months from now, some of you will have moved on. Some of you will have just got tired of listening to me being rude here at the front. And that's fine. Go and find a nicer preacher. There's plenty of all of them generally out there are nicer, um, apart from some. Um, but, uh, but most of you will be sitting here 12 months from now on the last Sunday of 2019. I wonder what you want to be different then. I wonder what your dreams are for the new year. Have you thought about it? I know there's a whole thing in New Year's resolutions and everybody joins the gym and they're going to stop smoking and lose weight and then by February it's all back to normal. But I wonder really what, imagine, imagine 12 months from now you're sitting in the seat you're in now. What would you want to be different in your life? Because yes, as Christians we believe God works in our lives, but he works with us. He partners with us. So many Christians are Kesara, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. We believe in God's sovereignty. We believe God can do anything. But God rarely does things against our will. He partners with us. And so whatever you want your life to look like in 12 months now, he is saying, I want that as well, probably, if it's not sinful, if it's good. Uh, but I want to partner with you in that. I want to be part of that. But I want you to make decisions and choices that will actually take you there because your decisions determine your direction and your direction determines your destination. But it all begins with decisions. Your decisions. I cannot drive north and end up in Dublin. My direction will determine my destination. If I drive north, I'll end up at the north coast. If I drive south, I'll end up in Dublin. I can't drive north and expect to be south. And some of us do things and we take steps and we make decisions day by day and we want to be over here, but all of our decisions are bringing us over here. And so really what I want us to do at the start of this uh, new season as we enter a new year is to begin to think about change and transition and moving forward. Over the last 40 days, a few of you will know I've been writing a book called The Tension of Transition. It has been a labor of love. I started it when I was on holidays in, in uh, Lanzarote in November. And when you're lying beside a pool in Lanzarote, writing a book feels like a great idea because you've nothing to do. When you get home, 
not such a great idea. Probably 18 days in, it definitely didn't feel like a great idea. But I finished it yesterday. I finished the first draft yesterday. It is 502 A5 pages, 100,000 words. And uh, I am in the process of editing it. And that's for you, that's like half a sermon. Um, but uh, this book has been all about change. It's been all about transition. So it's really got me thinking about that's probably where this talk has been birthed out of. Um, and, and it's strange because the first two chapters of the book were about our journey in leaving Dublin a number of years ago. And the 39th chapter, which I wrote two days ago, was about our journey to hope and how God brought us here. And I've just been reflecting on the last year for us as a family all the changes that have taken place and how God at every stage has been moving us it's been uncomfortable it's been unsettling but he has been faithful and 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 that's the that's the constant I guess that's the constant is that no matter what this year brings we can be sure of one thing he will be faithful he who has been faithful will be faithful And I can look at my past history and I can see his hand all over it. Even when my decisions were wrong and I was going in the wrong direction, he remained faithful. And therefore I can look forward with complete confidence into the next 12 months that no matter what I do, no matter what happens, no matter what it brings, he will be faithful faithful there's a verse in uh, let me see i was looking it up during worship actually it came to me during worship and uh, it is psalm 37 verse 25 it says this i was young and now i am old yet i have never seen the righteous forsaken i was young i'm old now and you know what i've never seen the righteous forsaken and i believe that's what the lord wants to say to you he will enter 2019 with you he will be with you every step of the way and there will be changes because change is about the only thing that's constant in our lives change is about the only thing that we can be sure of and there's some seasons that there's more change than others and i think we're about to enter one of those But I think it's not the change that's uncomfortable. It's not where we get to. It's the in-between. It's where we move from there to there, but we haven't reached there yet. It's this in-between bit. That's what I have called the tension of transition. It's letting go of the old so that we can fully embrace and experience the new. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in Mark chapter 2. Let me read verses 18 to 22 for you. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours aren't? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on a new garment. Otherwise, a new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Jesus is talking about change. He's talking about change. 
And he's using two metaphors. He's using uh, sewing unshrunk cloth onto onto a a used garment. And he's using the metaphor of new wine in old wineskins. The second one's the one we're going to look at. We also will talk about the first one a little bit. But the first point I simply want to make is this this morning. God is the God who is doing a new thing. Look at the context of this passage here. It's exactly the same in all three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the three synoptic Gospels. Jesus has been out ministering. He's been walking along. He's met this guy called Levi, who's a tax collector. Later we call him Matthew. And, and, and Matthew, or Levi, has had this encounter with Jesus. His life has been changed. And so, because his life has been changed, he gets on his WhatsApp group. He texts all his friends. And he says, guys, there's a party at my place tonight. Come on over. Uh, that's in the message version. And uh, And so all these people are partying with Jesus because when you encounter Jesus, you want your friends to encounter him too. And it's in that context of Jesus partying with Levi and his friends that the that he's asked this question. And it says this, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours aren't? See, in those days, the Pharisees fasted twice a week. They didn't have to. In fact, you only had to fast one day a year and that was the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees were so zealous for God and so desirous that his kingdom would come and break in among them because they wanted the evil Roman occupiers pushed out. They wanted the Messiah to come and they thought, if we fast, we'll twist God's arm, we'll persuade God to do something in our midst and so we will fast, we will pray and maybe God will take notice and he will intervene. That's why the Pharisees fasted on Tuesdays and Thursday, or Mondays and Thursdays. And then we have the disciples of John the Baptist, and they just seem to have copied the Pharisees. They just went along with it. If they're fasting Tuesdays and Thursdays, we'll do it too. And I'm speculating here, but I'm guessing that the event we're reading about happened on a Tuesday or Thursday, when these guys were fasting. And I think they were hangry. That's what I call it, hangry. They were hungry and angry. My wife really only gets angry at two things. One, when she hasn't had coffee, and two, when she hasn't had six meals a day. That's generally the times when she gets angry. Apart from that, she's a fairly even-keeled, placid person. (laughs) Evil-keeled. Sometimes the truth comes out. Um, evil killed um, but, uh, but generally when she's hungry she's grumpy and when she hasn't had her coffee she's grumpy um, some people would call that addiction um, but, uh, but, but, but I think that the Pharisees are hangry they are hungry they are starving and their bellies are rumbling and they're looking across at Jesus and his disciples who are at Matthew's house having a great old time eating all the roses in Quality Street that have been left over and they're having a brilliant time and they are annoyed. And so they ask this question, why don't you fast like all the other religious people? Why don't you do the same things as everyone else? Why don't you do it like we're doing it? Why don't you fit into the typical religious stereotype? Stereotype. Why don't you do things the way they've always been done? Why aren't you sticking to our religious rules and traditions? Why are you changing things? Sometimes churches and religious people do things not because God has told them to, but just because of tradition. 
just because that's the way it's always been done. And they get upset when anybody upsets the religious status quo. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that in the church you've been in. I mean, that's just not part of your experience. But I have. That when you start messing with people's traditions, not God's rules, but man's rules, they tend to get a little bit upset. And so often we adopt men's traditions without really thinking about it. I was talking to somebody recently, and they, they happened to say, I was telling somebody this other day, that... My name came up in a conversation with somebody who's traditional Church of Ireland. And they said, oh, Craig's not a Church of Ireland minister. And they said, no, he is. He was ordained 13. They said, yeah, he might have been ordained, but he's not a Church of Ireland minister. And, uh, and somebody else piped up, actually, and they said, yeah, when you were in St. Catharines in Dublin, my auntie who lives in Dublin said, St. Catharines isn't a Church of Ireland church. Now, both of those are false. We were a Church of Ireland church. We are a Church of Ireland church. And I am, believe it or not, a Church of Ireland minister. But in their eyes, in their perception of what that should look like, it couldn't be. Because their tradition and their mindset of what a church should look like and what a Church of Ireland minister should look like is stuck somewhere between 1870 and 1966. It's somewhere in there. And because we don't fit that mold and I don't fit that mold, therefore I cannot be a Church of Ireland minister. Where did God ever prescribe canticles? Like, where did he say you must chant the nunc de medicine, the vanity? Where did he say you must wear clerical collar and robes? I do not want to wear a dress on a Sunday, folks. Okay? Not even on a Monday do I want to wear a dress, never mind a Sunday. I don't want to wear one any day, okay? That's just a straight up fact for you. But, but, but in some people's eyes, if I'm not robed in a dress and wearing a collar, then I can't be a Church of Ireland minister. How can I do communion? And yet that's just religion. That's just a traditional religious mindset that people are clinging on to. And it is killing the church and it is putting people off God. Because the world, believe it or not, is moving on. And so is God. Our God, believe it or not, is not the God of the old, he's the God of the new. Yes, he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he's also the God of Danny. He's the God of John. He's not the God of Christ. He's a God, no. Um, but he is, he's the God of the new. The Bible tells us that. The Bible says, sing a new song to the Lord. That's what we do here. We sing old and new. Isaiah prophesied that God was given or doing a new thing. Behold, I am doing a new thing. And that God was giving his people a new name. God spoke through Jeremiah and said, I'm giving you a new covenant and I'm going to write a new law on your heart. I'm giving you a new heart. The writer of Lamentations tells us that God's love and mercies are new every morning. Jesus said in John 3, you need to be born again. You need the new birth to enter the kingdom of God. The apostle Paul says that if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Paul also says we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. An apostle in Revelation has a profound vision of the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down. And he says one day we will live in a new heaven and a new earth. Our God is the God of the new, but so often we are stuck in the old that we miss the new. God makes all things new. 
And here he's talking about new wine. What is new wine? New wine is simply the new activity of God among his people. It's the new work of his spirit among his people. In those days, it was the new work of Jesus the Messiah coming into the old covenant system and upsetting the religious status quo and doing a new thing. That the kingdom of God was coming with Jesus. Jesus said, behold, the kingdom is at hand. It's in your midst. It's right here. And it was replacing the religion of rules and tradition and ritual and control. Because when God's kingdom comes, it pushes the old to the side and it brings something new. And he's doing a new thing today. That's why the Bible says, I say this often, keep in step with the spirit. Because it's so easy to lag behind the spirit. He's moving on and we're back here. Those of you who have young kids, very often you'll be walking and you'll look and they're 20 steps behind you. They're not keeping in step with you. And the Bible says keep in step with what God is doing because you're probably back there and he's already started a new thing. Our God is constantly reviving and reforming, renewing and refreshing, shifting and shaking, moving and awakening things. How often but we get so caught up in the old that we miss the new. We miss the new because we're stuck in the old. We get attached to the old. We have moved house quite a few times over the last number of years. I was counting this morning the number of houses we have lived in since Elijah was born. Elijah's six. And I'm talking about, when I say lived, I'm talking about not like holidays. I'm talking we have stayed for more than a month, okay? I counted eight in six years. I mean, every time we move, Elijah's like, how long are we staying here? Um, His life, he just thinks, is just moving constantly. Eight houses we have stayed in for more than a month. Some of them six months, some of them a year. Eight houses. And every time we move, we do what we call a cull. Yeah? Getting rid of stuff. Clearing through the wardrobes, clearing through the stuff, going to the fair green and pour it down to the skip offloading stuff, watching them look at it to see what they can take. Um, I've got to know the guys down there. They're lovely, actually. But, but we do a cull, and I, I, there's something very therapeutic about doing a cull, isn't there? Getting rid of old stuff. But there's always some things we don't want to let go of. Have you noticed that? Like there's always, even though you haven't worn it, even though you haven't used it in weeks or months or years or since 1974, you still hold on to it. Because, hey, it might come in handy someday, you know. Those LPs, well, they have come back, I was going to say. Um, but, 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 you know, bell bottoms might come back in someday, so we'll hang on. There's always some things that we're sentimentally attached to, and so we store them away, and then 10 years later, if we're moving again, they're still there, and we lug them to the next place, and we store them away. And 30, 40 years later, we still have them because we've got sentimentally attached to them. But really, all they're doing is taking up space. They're no use. They're no practical help. They're just clutter. And I wonder, are there some mindsets, some ways of living, some ways of thinking that they're not actually helping us today, but we take them with us wherever we go because we've got attached to them? Are there some relationships that were great five years ago and we meet that person for coffee every week and we dread it now? Five years ago, we looked forward to it. Now we actually just cannot stand. But we just keep doing it because it's what we do, even though it's draining the life out of us. And when we go home, we need to lie in a dark room for an hour. Maybe there's some habits that just aren't working 
for you anymore. But you keep doing them over and over again. And the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Maybe there's behaviors, ways of relating that are damaging, but you just keep doing them because that's what you have always done. That's what Jesus is talking about when he talks about wineskins. He's talking about becoming attached to things that no longer have any function. Here's a picture for wineskin. Here's a picture for wineskin. There it is. It's pretty gross, actually, isn't it? I kind of expected like this Louis Vuitton or Versace pouch when I googled wineskin. It's actually the skin of a goat, which is tied at the legs, as you can see, and then they fill it with wine, and then they tie it at the top. And uh, once the wine has been poured in, or once the, the juice has been poured in, and, uh, and here's what would happen, is that as the wine fermented, those of you who have ever made wine will know that it ferments and it gives off gas. As the gas is given off, the skin stretches. And as it stretches and the wine ferments, that will continue until the wine is ready. Then they unlock the little pouch at the top or untie it. They poured out the wine and there you had your uh, Sauvignon. And, uh, and, 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 and once that wine skin was empty, you could use it again maybe one or two more times. However, there would come a point when the wineskin simply had no more give in it. It had no more elasticity in it. There was just simply no more room for it to stretch or expand. It had gone through the process too often and there was no elasticity left. And at that point you had a decision to make. Do you keep using something that no longer works? Do you give it one more chance and hope for the best? It worked last time, it might work again. Plus, it's a really nice wineskin. It's been so faithful at doing its job over the last while. It's served us so well, it's never let us down. That's one option. Keep trying to pour new wine into an old wineskin. Keep doing what's always worked. Or the other option is this. Get a new wineskin to contain new wine. Do you get a skin that's never been used, which is flexible and pliable and has ability to stretch and increase capacity? The answer to me seems pretty obvious. Get a new wineskin. To me, that makes sense. Don't risk spilling the new wine. So why wouldn't you do this? Do you know what the answer is? Because replacing an old wineskin with a new one is costly. There's a price to be paid to replace the old with a new. There's the work of skinning the goat for a start. Even before that, there's the cost of killing one of your goats. There's a sacrifice involved, especially for the goat. That's why people would sometimes keep trying to use the old wineskin over and over again, even if it wasn't fit for purpose any longer, because they didn't want to pay the price or make the sacrifice of creating a new wineskin. To bring in the new was too high a price to pay, so they kept hold of the old. You see, we all get attached to the old. We all have nostalgic moments, don't we? The good old days. And the good old days that we remember are always better now than they were then. Isn't that true? We look at them through rose-tinted glasses. Like, it's a bit like funerals. Like, I have officiated probably a couple of hundred funerals. And I've known the families in the years before the funerals. 
And the husband and wife fought like cat and dog. But at the funeral, he was the nicest, most gentle man that could ever, you know. Like, we, 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 we suffer from nostalgia. We, we look at the past as if it was so much better than it was. And so because of that, we cling on to things. We think about, well, if it was only like it was back in the whatever. If only things could be like then. You know, it's like a guy who's 40 and he, he says, you know, I could have played for Liverpool, you know, if only I'd gotten my big break. When really, like, Linfield or, or Glenavon didn't even want him at the time. If he hadn't had that leg injury, he could have been playing for England right now. And he's hearkening back to the good old days instead of getting his butt in the gym and trying to get in shape now. You know, because, and butt is a biblical word. The word butt is in the Bible. Um, but God, there you go. Um, but here's the thing that struck me, and I know this might be really obvious to you. Every old wineskin was once a new wineskin. Every old thing was once a new thing, and it was probably a really good thing, and that's why we get attached to it. I, I, just to me, that's obvious, and yet I hadn't really thought about it. Everything that is now old was once new. The clothes that you have at home that are old were once new, and you like them, or you wouldn't have bought them. The TV you've just replaced with the latest model was once new, and now it's old. It was once good. It was once cutting edge. It was fresh. It was creative. It was innovative. Do you know, in the world right now, we are going through a revolution, and we don't even realize it. And do you know what that revolution is? It's these We are going through a revolution and it has crept up on us and most of us have no clue what is really happening. It is the biggest revolution since the printing press 500 years ago. In fact, it's probably a hundred times bigger revolution. And we have no idea. Think about it. 30 years ago, we didn't carry these things. Imagine. Like we didn't. I lived in America 20 years ago and I didn't have one of these things I used to get lost in sales appointments and have to stop at the side of the road and put coins in a phone box to try and figure out where I was at university I used the internet for the first time That's some of you younger people are like he's really old honestly I remember getting an email address at university and I didn't use it because I didn't know how to I didn't know what this email thing was all this newfangled technology, it'll never catch on. Nobody will be using that in five years. Huh? This has revolutionized everything. I mean, those of you who are over 35, maybe, 30, remember taking photos on holidays when you got your little camera out. You put the film in. I think it was 24 exposures. Was that right, 24? Yeah. You took, the, you took 24. You were really careful about what you took because you'd only 24. You got maybe another film. You got home your 48 photos. You left them into Connors, remember? <laughs> Connors chemist. So some stranger could look at all your most personal moments on your holidays. And then you got them back and there was normally stickers on about two-thirds of them because the exposure was wrong or your thumb was in the middle of it or something like that. But you got them back and, and that was how you took photos. Like, 
Like, how archaic does that seem? Now, I want you to imagine doing something else right now. I want you to imagine it is 30 years ago, and you've got your little Kodak camera or whatever it was. I want you to imagine going on holidays and turning that, instead of taking a photo of the beach, turning that camera around and taking a photo of yourself. This, seriously, think of how right, you're laughing because of the irrationality of this. You take a photo of yourself, you go into Connors and you say to Mr. Connor, uh, can I have 200 of those printed off my face, please? And he looks at you strangely, but he does it. And you get the 200 photos of your face back, you put them in envelopes, you mail them to all your friends, okay? And there's just a, a, a one postcard in it that said, will you comment on this, please? Or will you do a smiley face? Or will you, you know, do a thumbs up? And then a week later, they get another photo through the post. The same 200 friends. And it's a photo of what you had for lunch today. <laughs> you snapped it. You got it developed. 200 photos sent. I mean, how ridiculous does that sound? And yet we do it now all the time. Selfies. There's a whole world out there. And what do we take photographs of? Selfies. We've got selfie sticks. Just so we can get the right angle. Kim Kardashian actually got something like carpal tunnel in her hand recently. True story. She had to go to the doctors because she's taken too many of her hands too often like this. Like the world is changing. And guys, I want to tell you, it's not going to go back. We are living through a revolution right now. And yet the church in many places is stuck on the cutting edge of 1985. I was talking to somebody this week and they were saying about their church and they said they're still using overhead, the cutting edge thing they're doing is overhead projectors. Those things that used to get so out of focus you had a headache for 14 days after and you could never read the words because somebody wrote them in yellow. You know, instead of Jesus, take me as I am, Jess, take me as I am because you forgot the you and Jess is in the third row beaming. You know, like... like it just the world has changed. YouTube is more popular than BBC folks, than any terrestrial channel, than any satellite channel. YouTube, YouTube is more popular even than Netflix. YouTube gets more views than Netflix and Facebook videos combined. I, 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 I just like where did I? I, re- I was reading about this just this morning actually because I was just uh, where was it? can't even remember but there's like so many billion like seconds of youtube uploaded like every minute and yet we are we we're, the church and, and and as so often as as christians we are so caught up in the past we have just gone on to youtube in this church like that's good for us we're you know we're moving forward but churches have been doing this for 10 years Things have changed unbelievably. Christine Cain says this. Sometimes we miss a new thing God's doing because we're looking for the next thing of the same thing that he's already done. <laughs> that takes a wee bit of thinking about. But we expect the next thing just to look like the same thing, only with a slight modification. There are things God did in the past. In your life, and in your church. And they were wonderful. And so you're holding on to them. But maybe they're wineskins that were for a season. And maybe we're 25 years on now. Or five years on. Or a year on. And God is saying you know what. 
Here's the thing. It's not about the wineskin. It was never meant to be about the wineskin. It's the wine that's valuable and important. The wineskin is just a container to hold it and protect it until everybody has drunk the wine. Bill Johnson says this. The wineskin serves only one purpose, to preserve the wine. The wine is always the treasure. All government and structures to accommodate the expanding nature of the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't do that, it fails. And so it's so important for us as a church as we enter this new year to distinguish, that between, to distinguish between that which can never change and that which can always change. I always use the example of closed hand and open hand. There are some things in this church that cannot change. The authority of the word of God will not change in this church. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God is inspired by God. We will preach the word of God. That doesn't change. The gospel doesn't change. That Jesus Christ came and took the sin of the world. He died on the cross, literally, and he literally rose again on the third day. That is never going to change. We will preach the gospel until the day we die. The power of the Holy Spirit won't change in this church. We will always seek to be a prophetic people moving in the gifts of the Spirit, seeking miracles and healing and all of it. That won't change. To me, I would say those are the things that are closed heart. Everything else is open heart. Everything else is a wineskin. Everything else might serve us for a season, but it's not sacred and it's not permanent. In fact, wineskins were always meant to be replaced over time. And the risk is always this, and I'm going to finish up shortly. If you fall in love with the wineskin, you risk losing the wine. That's what Jesus says. No one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. And I think God's saying that to us as a church right now. I'm going off script a little bit. I believe God is saying to us, you can stay the way you are. You can do things every Sunday exactly as you are. You can meet here at half ten with one service. We can keep trying to cram people in. We can keep, and, and, and that's okay. But you're going to waste the new wine. Because this is just a skin, folks. This building's just a skin. This structure of how we do things is just a skin. And God wants to pour new wine. He wants to pour new wine of his presence, new wine of his spirit, but mostly new wine of his people into this place. But he's saying, can you contain it? Because if you can't, it will either burst the skin or I just will stop pouring because that's just going to be a waste. But the choice is yours. You see, the choice was always the person who had the wine skin. Would they get rid of the old and replace it with the new? And the tension is always in between. The tension is always in between. The tension is always in between. It's in between the old and the new. It's in between leaving the old and knowing that we can't stay there, we can't go back there, we need to move on from there, but we haven't arrived here yet. That's what I call the tension of transition. 
It's that space in between. And that's what's happening here. Because there's three groups of people in the passage. There's the Pharisees who represent the old religious system. There's Jesus' disciples and Jesus who represent the new thing God's doing. And then there's John the Baptist's disciples in the middle. And John the Baptist is kind of the transition point. He's the tipping point. John the Baptist is a bit like an Old Testament prophet, but he's also the forerunner of Jesus. He's the one who pointed to Jesus. And so John the Baptist to me represents a tension of transition. And he knows that because look at what he said. He looked at Jesus and he said this, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. That's transition. Transition is where the past is decreasing and becoming less important in your life. And the new is increasing and becoming more important in your life. That's where transition is. And that's where the tension is. Because we haven't arrived there yet. And we're hearkening back here. And we're struggling because here is the no man's land. It's uncomfortable. It's uncertain. It's unsettling. And yet, to take hold of the old, you must let go of the new. Look at what Jesus said. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth into an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will tear away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. Again, he uses an illustration. I love how Jesus just uses everyday illustrations. If he was talking today, he would say probably, you know, When the memory in your phone gets full and you want to download an app or take another photo, you can't do that unless you delete something else. He was just using the the stuff that they had in front of them. And he says, if you have a bit of cloth that has never been shrunk and a pair of jeans that have been shrunk and you try to sew the unshrunk patch onto the shrunken jeans, when you put it through at your 60 degree wash, The new bit will shrink and it'll tear away and actually both will be ruined. You'll tear both. He says, if you try to hold on to the old and new, there will be damage. There will be tearing because the two are incompatible. And I see this in our own lives personally and I see it in churches. I've seen it in my own life and relationships way back long before I met my wife where you would, I was dating somebody, this is confession time, and You know when you break up but you don't really break up, you kind of break up? Like you break up but you're still not completely broken up because on Saturday night you're bored sometimes and you you, you want some... I'm not painting a very good light here. This is is a long, long, long time ago. Um, And so there was this relationship that had kind of broken up but I hadn't broken up. And then I was at a party on a Friday night and I met this other girl who seemed like a lovely girl and, and I asked her out for the following week. Then the next night, but I was at the remore with the girl who had kind of broken up with but not broken up with and I looked two tables down and the girl who had asked out the night before was there with her dad. Neither of those relationships went good after that point. Both of them were torn. Both of them were damaged needlessly. Because when you try to hold on to something that you're meant to let go of and try to embrace in you, it actually damages both. That's what Jesus is saying here, not in the same way as I did. But that's kind of what he's getting at. Churches who want to embrace in you, who want to move forward into the things of the Spirit, and yet there's a bunch of people who want to embrace the old. I know that's never happened. That gets torn. There's a tear there. You know what many churches do? They don't pull, pull the plug. They, they blend. 
bland services. Let's have the contemporary section in the middle. And I understand why they do that, but half the people hate it, half the people love it, and it tears. And the people who want to move forward end up leaving and going somewhere else. Sometimes you just have to make a break with the past. Sometimes you have to pull the plug. Sometimes you have to let go. Sometimes you have to move on. Because the gospel always demands and produces change. It interrupts and it disrupts. It shakes and it stirs. It upsets before it resets. And we have to make room for the new reality that God wants to bring into our lives. But the good news is this. God always has more. And I'm finishing. This is my last point. God always has more for us. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. Remember what I said earlier about fasting? They didn't have to fast. They chose to fast on Tuesday and Thursday. Why? Because they wanted God to come among them. They wanted God to intervene. They were praying and fasting for the Messiah to come. And Jesus says, da-da! The bridegroom's here. That's what he's essentially saying there. That the, the reason my guys aren't fasting is that the thing you're fasting for is standing right in front of you. But you don't recognize it. You don't see it. Why? Because it's packaged differently than you thought it would be. You were expecting a military general and God sent a baby. You were expecting a warrior and God sent a carpenter. You were expecting someone who would hurt the Romans and God sent a healer. And sometimes we don't recognize the new thing God is doing in front of us because it looks different than what we're praying for. This week I've kept getting a picture over and over again and it's just come to mind again. And it's where you have a jigsaw puzzle and there's a picture in the front of it but for some reason they've put the wrong jigsaw inside it and so the jigsaw when it's done the picture looks completely different to the picture in the front. And I think that's what's happened in many of our lives. We have this picture of how things should be but God has done something completely different and we are confused because we're going I thought it would look like this but it looks like this. And God's saying yes. You thought you were getting that. That was your plan. But look at this plan. And look at that picture. And isn't it so much better than that one? And I think for some of you right now, there's a bit of confusion and unsettling and tension because what you thought life would look like at this stage is totally different than it is. And God is saying, yes, it might not look like the front of the box, but here's what you've got. And I am with you. And I am for you. And I am in it. And Jesus says, stop trying to get something from God that he's already given you. Stop praying for something and the answer's right in front of you. You're fasting and you're mourning when God wants to throw a feast. So he says, stop bringing a coffin to a wedding. It ruins the party. Stop trying to get so hard from God something he's already made available to you, but you just don't recognize it. Don't recognize it. Stop striving to get God's favor when you already have God's favor. Just receive it and accept it and walk in it. Stop holding on to dead religion and expect the Holy Spirit to bless it. The Holy Spirit will never bless dead religion, but he will bless the good future he has for you. So don't hang on to the old and expect the new. Folks, change is going to happen in 2019 whether you like it or not. And you have a choice to make. Will it be change you work with? Will it be change that you shape? Will it be change that you embrace? Will it be change that happens with you or happens to you? 
Will you passively just allow things to shape you and change you? Or will you say, God, this is where I want to go with you this year. I'm letting go of the old. I'm taking hold of the new. And I'm going forward with you. And I'm going to honor the past. I'm going to build on the past. And I thank you for the past. But I'm not going to live there any longer. Because I know you have something new for me. Jesus said this, and I want to finish with this verse. He gave me this this morning, just as I was was reading over my notes. Unless, if you put up the quote there, actually. Truly, I say truly. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I really, I was asking God, God, how do you want me to finish this morning? I didn't have a catchy story. I didn't have a tearjerker. I just said, God, how do you want me to finish this morning? And I felt he said this, challenge people to put one thing to death this week. To let go of something. And I actually felt that he wanted us to do this over the next day. Between now and New Year's Day, actually. We're in the, what, 29th now? 30th? Somewhere there. Between now and New Year's Day, find something in your house you've been holding on to. And throw it out or give it away. You know those things I talked about? I don't mean your wife, folks. I could see. I could see. I was watching my dad there for a second. I saw him halfway down. I could see where he was going there. (laughs) Find something in your house that you've been holding on to. That you're sentimentally or somehow attached to it. And every time you look at it, you go, I really should throw that out, but... And I want you to give it to somebody. If it's cash, feel free. Um, or valuable. No, seriously, I want you to give it to somebody or I want you to throw it out. I really felt that was a challenge I wanted to put before you. And I think what you're doing when you do that is you're saying, God, I want, I want the new. I'm willing to get rid of one thing from the old or something from the old. It may, You know what for some of you that might be? Deleting a number off your phone. That's awkward. And blocking that person. Unfriending them. Some of you need to put something that is holding you back. So that you can press into the new. We are one of those couples that you see at the airport with their suitcase open every time. When we're checking in. Every time. I'm not telling you whose fault it is. I'm not laying the blame anywhere. Um, But I know when we're walking up to the counter, you can tell. And you try to put the case on where it's kind of hanging on to the, you know, the the bit in the middle so that it sort of absorbs some of the weight. Or or that you kind of just, and they always look at you and they go, you know, you're five kilos over. And I go, don't be personal. Um, <laughs> no, and they go, and, they, and, I, and I do my nicest, charming smile. And I say, yeah, that, da, 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 first, eight, eight pounds a kilo, 40 pounds, please. You know what I've discovered in that moment? It's amazing how ruthless you can be in getting rid of stuff. <laughs> stuff that you thought two hours before when you were packing that you couldn't live without, suddenly you realize you can live without it. Why? Here's why. Because the cost of taking it with you is greater than the cost of leaving it behind. The cost of carrying it to your destination 
is greater than the cost of getting rid of it. And for some of you, the cost of carrying some of the stuff that you think you can't leave behind in your future is greater than the cost of leaving it behind. What are you going to leave behind over the next few days? Because if you're holding on to something, your hand's closed. But if you will let it go, your hand's open. And God has so much he wants to pour into your hand in 2019. 